gosh, we're back. I'm back. I'm back. She's back. She made it. What is it like being on a plane, theoretically in a mask for like 10 hours? Yes, in a mask, all the way, in a mask, all the way through the airport, all the way through the plane. And I'll say that, like, if it wasn't for the pandemic, what a lovely way to travel. <laughs> because I had to do a change. So the plane that I took from London to Atlanta, I had the, not only just, like, my most adjacent row, like, the seats next to me, mm-hmm. the entire row of the plane was mine. Oh, that's fine. It feels like what I think they intended air travel to be like. Oh. Have you ever seen like the images of planes and the way they used to look in like the 60s? When they come around with like the buffet tray with shrimp? Not just that, but like there were some that were like two stories. And, like the second story would be like a bar. Yes. Like you that's just what like I'm walk saying. around and like bring it back. I would hang out. And like I think there are some, uh, like not to toot my own horn, <laughs> but I think there are toot, some toot. like Middle Eastern <laughs> airline airlines that have that like the that Emirates. is because of you yeah and it is actually for me i can't <laughs> afford it and i've never been on it anyway this is what this is this what? is this is the podcast that you have decided to listen to it's uh it's part documentary part competition but lightly so basically adults give each other a book report of their choosing and it's fun and we have a right laugh doing it i am ellie main i am the host and with me as always and i'm so excited is Chelsea Harfouche. She yelled at me last time for not being excited enough. Did I? I thought the last time we did it was with your father and you told yes. me I just had to do it and you were already drunk. <laughs> wow. Okay, firstly, <laughs> I introduced it and I said, and with me as always is Chelsea Harfouche and then you were like, wow, not even like excited to have me here. Well, because you were like, this is my father and we've been drinking all day and we're so cool. <laughs> I did not say that we had not been drinking all day, but I did have several ales during that podcast. Well, that's my dad was true. I, a fascinating story about sailing. It's true. He had a great story and a, and a fun energy. And I loved the big glasses y'all had. They were like the Peroni style glass, like they yeah. were tall, the tall Tall boys. and skinty. Tall and skinty. Just a little skinty like mamba. You told me that you had a really good one this week. Well, actually, you told me last week, and then I was like, I am not in an emotional place to do a podcast episode because I am unemployed. Oh, my God. Another victim Another of victim the of- pandemic. I was going to say that, and then I remember that, like, over 200,000 Americans have died. That's and I true. Like, my, my job really pales in comparison. You're, I uh, mean, I'm glad that you're not dead, and I'm glad that you don't have coronavirus. And, like, those are things that you. we can be, you know, we talk a lot in this podcast about, like, holding two things at once. <laughs> holding both, yeah. So I am incredibly grateful for your health and for my Thank health. Thank you. Oh, my God. However, I, I mean, this, you know, this is something that a lot of people have talked about who are smarter about it than I am, but I think we're going to see... The like incredible failure of this administration, we will be able to count not just in human lives, but in like yes. the way that it has just affected or in some, I don't think this is going to happen for you, but like ruined people's lives. Right. It will probably affect them generationally, like for decades to come. Oh, oh yeah. Like thing is about society and economics and all these <laughs> things is that it's very complicated and it takes a really long time for them fish to swim downstream. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people are being like, well, actually everything seems okay. And we're like, oh, we haven't even begun. Exactly. It's like when you have, when you have an economy like the United States, everything is interconnected. We only get to have a job as as we really know now, we only get to have a job if people have the money to yes. consume like our service. Yeah, exactly. Which they don't. So now you don't. I'd also like to go on record to say, good luck editing your own social media videos. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Uh, I have a fun fact. <gasps> Tell me your fun fact. A fact bang, if you will. It's a fact bang. Oh, we're harking back to the beginning. We're in interchangeable segment time. It's fact bang. It's Chelsea, fact what do you bang. have? And it is going to take the form of a personal anecdote from Chelsea, which I know is your favorite. I actually do like those, so carry Aww. on. Well, I, as I tweeted about, until like 2 a.m. in the morning because I couldn't sleep, um... I did phone banking for the first time yesterday and it was a very interesting experience. And I thought I would tell people what it was like because it's, I think it's intimidating and 
I think it seems from the outside way harder or more involved than it actually is when in reality it's actually very much like a video game so if you oh. like video games and like especially if you like like twines or text-based video games you should absolutely sign up to phone bank because it's basically what it's like let me just cut in here and say as a true millennial uh-huh. the decision between calling someone on the phone and doing anything else is like would you rather call someone on the phone or let this car run over your foot but like real quick yeah, I know. I, like, I probably wouldn't feel it, right? Okay, so I'm glad that you brought that up because I feel very similarly. And there was a moment when I like started to set everything up that I was like, why am I doing this? Like, I don't even like to call my own doctor to find out like if I'm dying. So guess what? When I signed up to phone bank because somebody texted me, because they do do some text stuff. Somebody texted me and was like, do you want a phone bank? And I was like, yeah. And I went to, <laughs> I went to the Zoom training. Uh, it was me and oh, I don't know, 60, like, people over the age of 75, because those are the people that sign up to do that kind of stuff. And I'm so grateful for the things that they do. And, you know, in some ways it makes sense because a lot of times you're retired at that age, so you have more time. But it also revealed a lot of, like, clear issues. Like, for example, they were explaining, you know, how to use this. And I was, like I said, I was literally like, oh, this is like a text-based video game. Like, I've played this before. And literally, like, the whole Zoom chat was full of, like, messages of like old people who were signing their own chats so it'd be like it'd be like i'm gonna make up this name this isn't the name of a person but it would be like ruth ginsburg says hello how do i find this in my browser will it connect to my phone and how thank you ruth ginsburg Oh no. And it was like, and I, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, I'm not trying to like shit on Ruth Ginsburg. I'm no, saying like, she doesn't know. She, she didn't grow up with I'm this. Like, oh, we should be the ones doing this. Like, let Ruth Ginsburg yeah. like make the signs or like send out the stuff. Like, let her do something that she's more comfortable with. She has gone so far outside of her comfort zone to try to do this. Oh, and I was Ruth. like, the least I can do <laughs> is bring my like tech savvy to be able to do this. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I sat down and this is the way it works. Basically, they give you a, a URL, you click it, and right. then you have like a, a login, which they give you as well. And then yep. it literally is set up like a video game. So they it says on the screen, a phone number, and you call that phone number from your phone, and then they're like magically connected. And then there's a big old ready button, and you click ready when you're ready, and it will just start automatically dialing people. And oh. then if somebody, and it, it just keeps doing that until somebody picks up and says hello, and then all right. of a sudden it'll just pop up and it'll have the person's name and then it has a script and then it has numbers for all of their responses it was a little weird there were some yeah. people who got mad uh one oh. person because like if if you don't reach the person you were trying to reach then you ask them oh well are you a registered voter in texas and then if they say yes you say oh, okay do you know if you're going to support donald trump or joe biden or somebody else and i and i got to that point i asked me that and she goes that is none of your business and i was like you know what okay. fair that's true. That is, it's actually not. Okay. <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you so much. Well, great. You have a great day, ma'am. I highly recommend phone banking. It's not hard. It feels very much like a game. It really does make a difference. Like having somebody call you on the phone and say, hey, you're going to go vote. That's so awesome. I'm so excited for you to do that. It you're makes rad. a huge difference. I did door-to-door stuff for uh when beto had a senate race yeah i remember that because literally because that was less scary to me than calling people on the phone oh i i agree i would knock on the door of the house in it that it house (laughs) i would knock on that door i would be more excited to knock on the door than i would be to call people but again the phone banking it makes it more comfortable because it feels like a game you just click ready and then it does it for you just lastly before we move on to our mini game you could do something that I do, which it's helping the cause. It's also like a little bit cheeky and fun. It's something called Defeat by Tweet, oh. uh, which is a service you can sign up for, defeatbytweet.org. Every time Donald Trump tweets, you donate something like 10 cents to black-led political organizers working in swing states specifically. Oh, that rules. It's great. So every time he sends a tweet, Defeat by Tweet comments underneath with how much money he just raised for swing states, specifically black-led political organizers. Uh, Yeah, I want to sign up for that. That sounds amazing. My title is, well, you can't take it with you. 
Is it your soul? The soul is the only bit that you can take with you. Point. Okay, is it your body? <laughs> uh, uh, is it is it like your is it like your like your thing? Please say more. <laughs> you want me to say more? Well, I like... do. I do. <laughs> Carry on. Like your like your mons. So what about the mons? Do you think is related to you can't take it with you? You can't take it to heaven. There's no gender in heaven. Is that what it's about? <laughs> no, it's not about that. Damn it. Yeah. Okay, well, I really felt like that- we were on a roll together. <laughs> Um, okay, so you can't take it with you. Body stuff is part of it. Is yeah. it something that you have when you're a baby and you lose it? Is it about like vestigial stuff? No. Mm-mm. Damn it. That felt like a real Ellie topic. Is it about... I don't know. I don't know. I've already given you my best, okay, you, my you know best guesses. No. I don't know if you know this, but I was gifted and talented. Uh, years, grades like... <laughs> Two through eight. Yeah, close but no cigar. My title is The Secret Celestial Society. Is it about a bunch of people who own the moon? I wish. Is it about the people who get together to decide what horoscopes should be? No, that's just, that's not people. That's just the truth. Then why are they all different? None of them are different. They're all the same. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Is it about the people that faked the alien autopsy? No, but we should keep that in mind. We should keep that in mind. Made into a great film called A Lion Autopsy, starring Anton Deck in the UK. Beloved (laughs) duo. Oh, is it about the the billionaires who want to form a society on Mars? Is that real? I mean, I guess. (laughs) Oh, you're just like assuming? Uh, No. Okay. Is it anything about anywhere close? Is it about space? No. Oh fuck! <laughs> it's um, it's 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 a classic uh, it's a classic Chelsea title in the sense that it's not good and it's like too complicated. I don't believe that it's not good. I just like you do love a switcheroo. Yeah, it's it's a real switcheroo. It's like what you're gonna do. So mine is called. Well, you can't take it with you. And there's like, sort of like a dot 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 at the end of it. Like it's like a well, it's a question, but is it? You know. I'm going to kick off by saying a human head weighs about the same size as a normal roaster chicken. Ugh. That hurts my neck. It has long since fascinated me what exactly happens when you volunteer to have your body donated to science. Oh, no. (laughs) And back in previous topics, we've discussed incredible feats of science using the cells of the dead, like Henrietta Lacks. Yeah, and we talked about the bone place. Exactly. Yeah. The bone place. <laughs> yeah, I remember her name, but it's like the bone place. The not so lucky carcasses of the stolen deceased. We yeah. talked about the resurrectionists. And somehow I still had this kind of romantic, mostly naive idea about donating your body to science and what happens. Oh, me too. Are you about to ruin that for me? Yes. Oh, great. <laughs> I recently read Stiff by Mary Roach. I might need a stiffer drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. <laughs> Side note, an absolutely cracking read. Oh, and I should probably do a bit of a PSA here that this is going to be about dead bodies, what happens when you donate your body to science. And so if that is in any way uncomfortable or upsetting or triggering to you, just know that like that's what we're going to be diving into a little bit. And I don't want to upset anyone without giving, giving them due warning of the content. Or just fast forward until you hear Tyler Suter's wonderful little like sound effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you'll <laughs> know that we're moving on to another topic. Until you hear another beautiful jingle. Yeah. I can't remember how or what other than my intensely morbid curiosity that we've talked about before. What provoked me to hit download the Kindle version with gusto on that book, but I did. And the first chapter rocked my little naive view of cadaver research. So I'm going to describe the two things in this book, the two areas of research that really blew my mind and changed my opinion about donating your body to science. The first one is the opening to her book, and it's an amazing opening. This is going to be fun because I'm somebody who's very freaked out by the idea of both cremation and being buried. So... This was your happy third place? Yeah, this was like my safe choice of like, oh, I get to like just hang out with med students. Well, I mean, this is... Okay, so as we go through, I think the thing that we should be trying to hold is what are we okay with and why? Like, where is the line... 
when it comes to donating our body for scientific research? And why is one thing considered to be better or more respectful than the other when it comes to handling a dead body? And I think it all comes down to objectification. We're going to get into it. Okay. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, yeah, because I think about this a lot because I realize that my fears are arbitrary, right? Like, exactly. I'm freaked out by cremation because I didn't realize until I was much, much older that the burning was not instantaneous, which I know, like, sounds silly, but, like, I just never thought about it. So right. it's like, oh, you get incinerated. Like, the word incinerate sounds very fast. It sounds not- like... <clears throat> Yeah, but it's not. It's very slow. I have a hard time separating my consciousness from my body, so therefore the idea of that is very scary. Let's get into it. It's difficult to imagine something more macabre than a room of 40 severed heads in their own little foil roasting pans. Neat little rows, like the buckets at an airport security. But that is Mary's first stop in her book. Clunkily cut right beneath the chin. These fresh, quote-unquote, which means unembalmed, heads are for plastic surgery practice. Uh. There is a high likelihood that if you donate your body to science, that your head will go to places where they practice plastic surgery procedures. And not just one. A lot of these heads get a facelift, chin implant, nose job, and fillers before you're laid to rest looking fabulous. <laughs> looking real different. <laughs> looking incredible. The argument is that it is far better to practice these things on a deceased person than it is on someone who's living. Better than botching the living, right? Yeah. All of these doctors, 40 of them, they pay to go to these conferences, these events where you get to practice these procedures on actual heads that haven't been embalmed because when you embalm a head, the fluids that you fill the tissue with harden all the flesh. It makes it not only difficult, but it it means that it's not true to life. It's not what a plastic surgery would be like. Right. You're not learning yeah. It dilutes the, the educational value of the experience. Right. And if you're doing this thing, if you are taking pretty fresh heads from people that have passed away in the last couple of days, you want it to be as worth it scientifically as possible, right? Right. Out of respect. So the facelift, a common practice on deceased heads, what happens is if you if you kind of pat the real fatty part of your cheek, this is your malar pad. Malar means relating to the cheek. It's literally a little like yellow fat pad that sits on your cheeks. That's just part of the face. And as you get older, that falls out of the place that it's in and it usually settles where if you have if you draw a line from the bottom of your nose to the corner of your mouth, you'll see that I mean I already have it. I'm about to be 30. You'll see in older people that is a much more pronounced line. Mm-hmm. It settles there because that's the natural fold in the face so all the facelift is is pulling that fat pad now usually through like microscopic cameras instead of what they used to do which is basically like peel the whole freaking face back mm-hmm. now they just do it with like microscopic little holes they push that pad back up to where you're supposed to be and they tie it in place and that is the modern facelift as opposed to like you know like back in the hairline of like pulling it yeah when back. they were just like pulling you from the back right and <laughs> like they were the just like alien from men in black yeah they would just staple it back there now yeah. it's much more like detailed uh. and, and and much smaller you don't have these like mad hairline scars they just push that back up so she was invited to watch that happen to 40 heads in a bucket the thing that she like really found umbrage with which i thought was interesting was where the head was cut she thought that it would be much more kind of like I, ugh, palatable is the wrong word but to leave a little bit of neck in there <laughs> yeah i mean as somebody who's very self-conscious about their neck I don't care if it's there or not. <laughs> okay, so this is where we get onto the whole thing of objectification. Mm-hmm. This lady that's kind of taking her around this facility is like, says to her, the problem with cadavers is that they look so much like people. Which might sound like <laughs> a really why. blase. Right, it might sound like a really blase thing to say, but it's the same reason why we say pork instead of pig or beef instead of cow. As people who are em- empathetic, hopefully, we yeah. have to try and divorce the meat from the once living thing. Unless you're an actual psychopath, which is actually a far more common personality trait than your average murderer. And I actually, I will take this tangent. Do so, it. You know what? Do it. So not all, like, yeah, not all psychopaths are murderers. Right. It's much more of a spectrum than that. You can have elements of psychopathy in your thinking because all it is is the ability, if you see it that way, to divorce emotional reaction and empathy from your action. All murderers are psychopaths, not all psychopaths are murderers. Yeah, I, there are also there are a lot of murderers who experience empathy. Right. 
I mean like cold-blooded serial killer type. Yeah. And actually, if you think about it, that ability is something that as a society we need people to be able to do. Like, for example, a pediatric surgeon. You would want someone to be able to remain calm while operating on a child, especially your child, and not be overwhelmed by the humanness of what they're doing. They're cutting into a child. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a really good point. I've thought about that a lot with the work that I do with CASA because Mm -hmm. we went through a lot of training, all the people who who were training to be CASA volunteers, which if you don't know, is somebody who works with children who are like in the like foster care, like CPS system. But anyway, one of the things they talked about was they were like, they would talk about the, the things that might cause a child to go into the system, which are pretty universally bad, right? Because we don't right. really want to take kids out of their homes unless we absolutely have to. It's already presupposed that something bad has happened. They would talk about these like different things that could be happening, like neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, trafficking. And people would have these like really outsized responses, which I think is something, I think it's empathy, but I also think there's something about it that's like ingrained in society. Like you as a social creature have to let other people people know that you find this abhorrent right yes. so you're like yeah oh, oh my god like oh my <sighs> god and, and then the trainers were like yeah you can't do that like that's yeah. the absolute thing that you cannot do and you could see people get like kind of uncomfortable or like even like maybe like a little bit pissed but it's like okay well if it's uncomfortable for you to hear it how uncomfortable do you think it is for a seven-year-old to live it so the last thing that they need to do is like deal with your emotional response to this thing like you need to be there to be this sort of like calm in the storm which means (laughs) as ellie was saying it's like it's not appropriate to have an empathy like not an empathetic response but like it's not appropriate to have an emotional response which means that part of your empathetic response needs to be keeping it to your damn self right can you (laughs) imagine if there was a surgeon who had to operate on the heart of a baby for example Uh and then they came back to talk to the parents and they're like it was so disgusting like you know all they want to know is that you can do that and you can do it calmly yeah or like what if you like what if you know you had to hear that like your kid had cancer and the doctor that told you about it was crying which is like right. I, I just, i'm so sorry it's just like it's so sad like his cancer but she's probably gonna die like the kind of what you want same things for same thing kind of for like um an airline captain if they yeah. if you were to fully uh, sit with the emotional realism of like I am carrying over two hundred souls in a craft. Like yeah, the whole idea of it would be paralyzing if you actually had to sit with the emotional effect of it. And so many people wouldn't be able to do that job. Some people can divorce those things and therefore can be excellent surgeons and excellent pilots and all the things that put are putting human lives at risk that have to be done calmly. Mm-hmm. brings us back to this whole idea of practicing surgeries on dead bodies you know on one hand you can say that these people are willfully mutilating dead people and on the other hand you can say that they are using the donated gifts to make sure that they don't botch a living person's face mm-hmm. I personally through reading this and this is something that Mary Rich herself also presents that maybe there should be a checkbox that's like I want to donate my body to this, this, and this, but, but, but maybe not this. Then on the other hand, it's like, ex- you can't take it with you. So what's the difference? Right. Oh, I don't know. Back there's the title. title. There is a quote that really got me in this book where one of the only uh, doctors that she's allowed, like that will let her kind of chill while she's doing this and like interview her while she's talking is this lady called Marilena. Mm-hmm. Marilena says specifically, she doesn't have a problem with heads. And she said, for me, hands are the hardest because you're holding this disconnected hand and it's like it's holding you back. Oh, that is that is hard. That is rough. And, yeah, and, and Mary is she's a fantastic writer. She says, cadavers occasionally affect a sort of accidental humanness that catches the medical professional off guard. Like this moment that cuts in through their objectification and reminds them like, oh, this was this is a human, per- this is a hand that once held stuff. Have you ever dissected anything? Nope. <laughs> not even like a not even like a little frog or like a little cricket no even a little frog or cricket i mean i because i learned about that just through how we consume so much american media in the uk i never dissected shit mm-hmm. it's, well, not, it's just like a thing yeah oh yeah uh we were supposed to dissect frogs in biology and i can't remember why we ended up not doing it but you know i think i've told you i dissected a cat 
You did and, tell me that. That's famously yeah. banned because it got in your mouth. Oh yeah, because it got in my it got all in my mouth. It was horrible. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I that but that was a um, an elective class for people who were interested in possibly being in the medical profession. And it's not the reason that I didn't end up pursuing my dream of being a doctor because I was worried, you know, that it would be really hard for me because I, I love cats and I had cats and I still have cats, but you do kind of have this feeling of like, I, I wouldn't say like, I didn't feel like divorced from my feelings about my little orange cat and his nasty, nasty guts. But like, <laughs> I, I guess I, like, I liked your, what you said earlier about it being like a gift. Like, I guess that's how I thought of it. It was just like, Oh, this is such a gift because now like, at least like, like there's so, and this is maybe a little bit different from people and then maybe it's not it's like there's so many cats that get euthanized like every day and these cats are now like yeah like we're high schoolers and we're just like trying to learn how to like help people but like now we have like a better understanding of our bodies and also Mm -hmm. like i know these also go to vet schools and now they'll be able to save all these other cats like this cat gets to save so many cats that is the neatest segue to my second yes I love when that happens. Love when a plan comes together. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, The second area that if you donate your body to science, you may likely end up is as a human crash dummy. (laughs) Sounds very terrible, just like as as I say it there. But let me dive into it, and you'll see. Actually, it's kind of awesome. So, essentially, human crash dummies cadavers are used and hit with the impact of a car crash in several different ways. One of which is called a linear impactor, which is where they target areas of the body, they hit it with like a force, mm-hmm. and they x-ray and they analyze the extent of the damage to the particular bones, the particular area of the body. Famously, bodies aren't so great at driving. Yeah, so, it's true. So they have to figure out ways to replicate that force that would be that would happen in a car crash. So the second way is to drop them from a height, which to me seems pretty brutal but again understandable um so the idea is that the obviously the dead have helped the living figure out body tolerance limits for things like slamming your skull and getting impaled having your guts all thrown about in a car all the awful things that can happen to us when we embark on the most dangerous thing that we do almost every day which is to drive (laughs) yeah it's true isn't that wild almost every day especially if you're commuting you go onto the highway. That is statistically the most dangerous thing that you do in your life, and you do it all the time. And I do it without thinking about it. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, obviously the point is to figure out how to make cars minimize that impact on our frail little fleshy vessels when we're inside. And so a lot of people are like, well, why don't we use crash dummies? And it's kind of like you have to think in the reverse logic of it. So... Uh, A dummy can tell you how much force a crash is unleashing on various body parts, right? You can measure how much impact there is, but without knowing how much of a blow a real body part can take, that information is kind of useless. So you have to be able to know the maximum amount a ribcage can compress without damaging what's inside is two and three quarter inches before you then test the dummy to see the impact of the car. Does that make sense? That Yeah, that does make sense. And I had never thought about it that way. That's really interesting. Right. So you can put a little wooden model and be like, well, that really smashed that wood up. But if, unless you know <laughs> unless you know what a, what a tibia or fibia can take, what is how useful is that? So Oof. they, like I said before, they use bodies in two different ways. One is impacting it directly and one is allowing it to impact something from a height, usually to try and reenact the force of a 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 mile an hour crash. Mm-hmm. Before they did this, when they fir- well, obviously when they first invented cars, there was no such thing as a windshield, which is why you see all those like old boys in goggles. <laughs> it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't because they wanted to look fly, it was like literally to get flies out of their eyes. Like, it gets real gross. So then when they first put glass in, it was like glass. Like sheet no. glass. Yeah. Thinking about the force of hitting plate glass, having it smash, and then the force of the recoil coming back through the other side. The impact of the crash didn't kill you. It was like the effect of the car on your body. Yeah. Car crumpling. Because the car wouldn't crumple, so your body, your little fleshy oh. body, felt the whole impact of everything. Or something like you would go through glass and then come back on the other side and that would just like carot your slice arteries. You open. Yeah, it would slice your neck open. Another one is that like I don't know, you see those old cars, the steering wheel's really tiny <laughs> and it's pointed directly at your heart. So 
at an impact, it would just go straight through you in the worst possible place. So by testing all these things out with actual bodies, with cadavers, they have been able to, through high-speed x-ray, figure out exactly what happens to the body. The most interesting thing I found that they figured out is that a lot of people, you know, you know about whiplash, where uh, Mm -hmm. you go forward really fast and back really fast, and that really hurts your joints massively. Mm -hmm. Um, But what they have found is that generally in a car crash, your body isn't just forced in one direction, it's kind of forced all over the place. And through high-speed x-ray, they figured out that most like what most likely happens is that your brain really, really fast does basically a figure eight inside of the skull. No. Because you're hit, yeah, because you're going forwards and backwards and usually from side to side at the same time. Mm-hmm. And just the sheer force with the, with how it does that is what severs neurons, it severs connections to the brain, and that's how most people unfortunately die from a car crash, is that the brain does this figure eight. And we would, would never have known that if we couldn't have x-rayed dead bodies and seen the effects of that. No, that's really fascinating. I had only heard a little bit about that from, there's a a, a woman I follow on Instagram whose husband suffered from a tra- traumatic brain injury from a car accident. And she described it as, she does like a lot of really good education about traumatic brain injuries on her show mm-hmm. or on her, I'm sorry, on her account. And she said it was called a diffuse axonal injury. And what it is, is exactly what you said, which is that in a car accident, you're going really fast. Your mo- your body's moving really fast through space. And then all of a sudden it isn't. Yeah. And the brain moves so quickly inside your skull that literally it shears apart. Yes, that's it. It's that plus the rotation. That's what I didn't know. That's so that fascinating. Sh- that shears it. But it's like, yeah, you don't want to just learn that for the first time when you have somebody like this woman's husband who is still alive and they're working together every day to get him, you know, to like a good quality of life. So like, you don't want to just learn that for the first time with somebody who's alive and and trying to have quality of life. You want to know that ahead of time so that you can work to give him the best quality of life because he's arrived. So I think this is really cool. I think although specifically with plastic surgery and this idea of using people as as crash dummies there's this idea of like are we giving enough like quote-unquote respect to the dead is like is that how people should be treated once they've died but the effects and the results i think are undeniably still a massive positive and i think really the thing we're talking about is our own social ideas of how you should treat a dead body Mm -hmm. because thanks to cadavers being used in crash dummy experiments, we have created glass, which means that you can survive an unbelted 30 miles an hour crash straight into a wall, no problem. <sighs> We've changed the design of steering wheels to combat the massive chest cavity trauma. We have created things like crumple zones and collapsing mechanisms to allow the car to absorb the force instead of the body, which all has all culminated in over 8,500 lives saved per year since 1987. That's great. 61 per year for every cadaver testing seatbelts. 147 per year for every cadaver that took an airbag in the face. 68 per year for everybody dropped on a windshield. And so, though the practice itself might sound initially as being kind of gross or like not the way that you thought your body would be used if you donated it to science i don't know about you but i always had this idea of like all my organs would go to cancer people and i would just i would become part of the earth and like yeah i think we have this very like romantic idealized sense but and the truth is probably a little more brutal than we thought but donating your body is still an amazing thing to do you could be one of these people that saves 147 people from a car crash. You could be one of these people that actually changes the future of of people like the guy that you just talked about in a car crash. Like Without people donating their body to science, we wouldn't be able to do so many of the things that we do now. We wouldn't be able to know how to save so, so, so many people. So I used to think that I would want to like specify that like my corneas couldn't be used or something like that but Mm -hmm. imagine the gift that it is to be able to give something that you are never gonna use again to someone whose life you would change Um, and that's just an impact you can't even imagine having in life let alone in death you know what you convinced me let's do it let's do it let's do it right now let's just do it right now that's my topic that's the two things that massively impacted my view on body donation and how gross but still beautiful it is 
That's awesome. I really liked that because I I'd say I think you kind of assuaged my fears because like like I said, my thing was like, yeah, like I used to think cremation and then I saw the episode of Nip Tuck where I realized like, oh, this actually takes hours and that's very creepy to me. Uh, And then I was like, well, donate to science. And then just, I would hear people be like, oh, you don't actually want to do that. And then I never like looked it up, but I think like my imagination was scarier than the truth. So now you've helped me come real circle where I'm like, no, like, I think, I think that's, I could do that. That's fine. And I know it won't even be me, exactly, but I could do that. And it would be chill. This is the last thing that I will say, because this has been an incredibly tangential episode, but that's what happens when we <laughs> miss a week, I guess. It's uh, true. <laughs> but I do highly recommend learning more about how the human body works. I think, mm. you know, I think our bodies are these incredible machines. And it's something I've thought about a lot, both like when as a dancer and as somebody who like said wanted to be a doctor and you know, like took classes for that for a while. And then also just like in like redefining our relationship with our body in terms of like body image trying to redefine it as like this is like a tool or a machine that i've been given um if you like those videos that are like oh this is oddly satisfying because this thing clicks into this thing that's your whole body the more that you learn yeah the more that you learn about how your tendons and muscles and joints and bones work together and how your nerves wrap in and out of them in like very specific ways and how your nerves then travel to your brain which interprets information in this specific way it's incredible it's 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 magic if you think it's magic it's the beauty of science if you think that science is beautiful it and it's you and we all have it and i i your body is is a beautiful wondrous thing and it's super spiritual if you believe in that too if you feel spiritual about your body it will it will reaffirm that for you if you feel that science is like your spirituality it will reaffirm that for you if you're somebody like me who likes a little bit of both it's it's the perfect meshing of that like i look at i look at my body and the way that it works and i can't help but think that it's like the most miraculous thing that i know to be true living or dead yes living or dead oh so beautiful Mm. ali yeah you get a point one point (laughs) one point and then another 13 one point and then another 13 because i missed you oh oh that's so sweet thank you so much one for every year you've been born Are you ready for the secret celestial society? Yes, I can't believe it's nothing about space. You're going to be so bad. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what happened was Connor and I decided to watch Monkey Bone. Have you ever heard of that? No, not at all. What is, Is it a show? Is it a movie? Oh, God. Okay, so it is, as Connor really succinctly put it, it would fucking rule if it didn't suck so much. <laughs> it's from 2001. It's kind of sort of the movie that stalled Brendan Fraser's career. Because if you think of 2001, like Brendan Fraser on top of the world, like he right. was George of the Jungle. Oh, he was in the Mummy movie. Is it Brendan Fraser's Waterworld? It is Brendan Fraser's Waterworld. But it's more than just Brendan Fraser's Waterworld. It was so many people's like bad idea. So it was. It was directed by Henry Selleck, who, oh, sorry, Mamba's coming in here with his zoomies. Okay. <laughs> it was directed by Henry Selleck, who you're probably familiar with because he did The Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline and okay. James and the Giant Peach. Okay, so, he loves a spooky little animation. He loves a spooky little stop motion, and this has freaky little stop motion, and I will say the visuals are by far and away the best part of this movie. Unfortunately, the bad part is like the script and the story. Right. And it's about like a cartoonist <laughs> whose name is literally like Stu Miley. And so he wears a shirt that says Smiley all the time. And you're like, okay. And uh, he has like this rascally little like monkey character that he draws all the time named Monkey Bone that was like born of his own boner. I don't know. And then Monkey Bone. Uh, he like what? almost dies and monkey bone takes over his body and then like he is like possessed by monkey bone oh it's so bad it's really bad okay uh rose mcgowan plays like a sexy cat lady that of kind of like she does of course she does oh talk about a movie that does not pass the bechtel test anyway this was one of those movies where like it costs yeah it, the budget was 75 million in 2001 so that's like a pretty high budget and it made okay. seven million <laughs> And it was rough, 
But Ooh. as with so many like 2001 movies, the soundtrack really slapped. And that was like one of the things okay. That, okay. Really, that really fucking worked. And I, I can really, really turn re- a movie around, you know? Yeah, I mean, it couldn't save Monkey Bone. Right. Uh, but it did really help. And we we ended up watching the entire credits, which were incredibly long since it was a semi-animated film. Right. Just to see all the stuff from these from these soundtracks, which got us on this long conversation about movie soundtracks, which led us to the secret society of celestial songs, which is what I'm calling it now. Because that is what I have dubbed all of the movies from a specific period of time <laughs> that included the song All Star. <laughs> because- Oh my god. I need you to know that just yesterday uh-huh. I read it I read a tweet where someone was like identify a song with like less than two words and someone just wrote somebody. <laughs> somebody. <laughs> Incredible. Okay, so so the weirdest thing about You thought I would be mad. I'm overjoyed. Oh good, because I have so many places for this to go. I mean it's yeah. gonna, it's yes. Okay. Cause I, I went down this like this is one of my like rabbit hole topics. I went down this rabbit hole and it was so fun. And I mean, yes, you know like you and I love like a, a Smash Mouth like All Star remix. Like one of my yes. favorite ones yes. is the one where they're doing like the whole music video. It was like was it like I have to go get some gas is like the line. And then he goes, I say, Yep. What a concept. I could use a little fuel myself and we could all use a little change. Well, in the video, they just have him say, I said no. And then like the music video ends. So that's it. It's so good. It's like the best joke. Anyway. <laughs> so, so many fucking movies use this song at the same time, which is Why? really weird. So first thing is that all-star has two music videos so there's the music video where they're all just kind of like hanging out in this like very technicolor like world and that's like a pretty traditional music video but it also has now do you, this is the other blast from the past do you remember when every movie had like a theme song and then yes. they would make a music video that always featured at the very least footage from the movie if not like the yep. actors and all yep. that kind of stuff. And like, it was always the first it was always the first song on the credits. Yes. Like I think like the laziest version was the Charlie's Angels beat like uh Destiny's Child one, where Destiny's Child was and this is so wild to think about now in terms of like where Beyonce stands in like our cultural hierarchy. <laughs> but back in the day when Beyonce when Beyonce's child Gold wow. member is weirder. Yeah, Golden was weird. But oh, that's a really good point. But Destiny's Child back in the day was like, you know, a very successful girl group. So they made a song that was like about being an independent woman. And they literally name dropped Charlie's Angels in the song. Charlie's like, Angels, come on. Char- it's with Lucy Lou, my girl Drew, Cameron D, Charlie's Angels, come on. And, then, <laughs> and so they, they name dropped them. And then none of those girls could even be bothered to be in the music video. So the music video is all in a green screen. And then it's just the Destiny's Child dancing in front of scenes from the movie. And I'm like, yeah, totally lame, totally lame. But All Star was also in a movie called Mystery Men, which like this really unlocked a memory for me (laughs) because I used to have a stepdad and that stepdad really loved the movie Mystery Men, (laughs) which is like, if you're not familiar, imagine that show The Boys, but make it very 90s and make it not very good. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And that is what Mystery Men is like. It's like regular people who want to be superheroes because like superheroes aren't really like getting the job done or whatever and uh, yeah and they made a second all-star music video that is the band hanging out with like all the people who were in mystery men like ben stiller and janine garofalo and they're in the cool mystery men car together so there's like a second mystery men specific all-star music video that you can find online incredible which but then it was also in 1999's inspector gadget which came out the same year as Mystery Men, so 1999. So it's in two big budget movies as the main song. Then in 2001, it was Shrek. also... No, I'm oh. getting there. In 2001, it was also the main song in the movie Rat Race, where, where the band performs it at a live concert over the closing credits. What? 
And then only after that was it in the 2001 DreamWorks animated smash hit Shrek, which this is my favorite. Uh, this is my favorite anecdote about that. I'm is- sorry. Wait. The, the manager for Smash Mouth <laughs> was just been like, yeah, no, this has already been a ma- you wanted as well. Okay. Yeah, no, no, fine. And I'm glad that you bring that up because that is essentially what happened because listen to this. So yes, at this point, it has been the lead song, like the lead off song and the music video basis for three big budget films. Then they're they're developing Shrek and they keep putting like temp music in, you know, that's because that's how you make a movie, right? So you right, make, right, put right. all these temp musics for these different, these different scenes to kind of get like a vibe and stuff. And they keep, apparently they kept writing in the notes something like, all-star they're like we want an all-star vibe it needs to be kind of like all-star and then to which at one point jeffrey katzenberg was just like just put all-star in and then they were like but jeffrey the song is already the song is it's really mystery men's song you know and i think we all know that like there's no way that shrek is gonna live up to like the cultural (laughs) significance of mystery men and he was like no fuck it i'm jeffrey katzenberg and i've never once thought about somebody else's feelings This is the exact quote. It says, The filmmakers for Shrek had originally used the song as a placeholder for opening credits and intended to replace it with an original composition by the composer that would mimic the feel of All-Star. However, DreamWorks executive Jeffrey Katzenberg suggested that they just use All-Star instead. One day I'm going to invent the best mobile video platform (laughs) in the world. This is officially a Quibi Snark podcast now. But (laughs) this is the information that I didn't know that I think you're really going to like. Yeah. It's very important. <laughs> I will link it. This is such a 180 from Dead Bodies hitting my Yeah, yeah. What a concept. And if now warms, you might as well swim. Well done, fire. How about, How about yours? yours? That's the way I like it. And I'll never and get, get bored. <laughs> okay. So everybody loves All Star, right? Yeah, duh. So in 2018, Alison Frasca debuted All Star the best Broadway musical, a four-act play written by and starring herself, in which, and this is the best part, so you know what a jukebox musical is, right? Yes. Where all the songs are usually from, like, either an era of time or a specific band. Like, Queen has a jukebox musical. I did go and see the Billy Joel jukebox musical. Oh, hell yeah. I saw the Queen one in the West End, and you people went nuts. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, big time. Oh yeah, big time. So usually that like really explores the oeuvre of a specific musician or band. The egg? No, oeuvre, like with an R. Oeuvre. I know. Okay, okay. What sets the all-star musical <laughs> apart is that every musical number is a new arrangement of the song all-star. So no. Every, no. Every big chorus number, every like every solo ballad, every like beautiful lovers duet is just a new arrangement of All Star. And believe me, I looked, I looked through all my slime tutorials no. for something, but I can't find it mostly because this really hasn't been performed. Despite it had like a very limited engagement on Broadway when it was when it was first not on Broadway but in New York when it was first debuted, which was in 2018. Uh, the band does officially sanction it and a lot as like signed off on them using All Star. I was gonna say their music, but it's really the one song. But my favorite thing <laughs> is that you can follow the musical. You can follow the musical on Twitter at All Star Musical, and they are insane. Like whoever is like running the social media account is incredible. So the the description for the account, the official bio is just winner of the 2021 Tony for best new musical, <laughs> which I do appreciate them manifesting. Um, and then they like to send tweets to all of the shows that are currently on Broadway, and they always start with "Hey now," so it's like. Hey now, Hamilton. Yes. You, yes. you really did it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry. It fucking kills me. <laughs> hey now, at John Green. We have the perfect show for you and your brother. Hey now, at Rent on Fox. No day but today. No. Go play. And apparently they are getting an official read through this year. It took two years and also the worst year of all of our lives. Mm. All Star the Musical might actually be headed to Broadway. No, you can't be serious. Oh, I'm so serious. I'm serious. It's a heart attack. And so, 
to close this all out, like I said, I got really nostalgic for that period of time where all movies got to have their own song. Um, and it took me down memory lane a little bit, which, yeah. cause the first thing I want to find out is I was like, what is the song that's been the most used in movies? Like what song has appeared in the most movies? Because I was thinking about like, go ask Alice and stuff like that, where it's like an older song and it's always used. Like, I feel like there's like a handful of songs, like unchained melody. That's just shorthand for this is the fifties or yeah. like that one. That's like, Ooh, 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 Ooh. Ooh, little bitty pretty one. Like if you hear that song, you're <gasps> the fifties. Little bitty pretty one, come on and talk it to okay. me. That we one? get it. Ellie can sing. Yes. Ooh, so, what I'm saying is, like, if you hear that song, I, like, all I think is Matilda. I think of like, yeah, I think of every fucking period film in the. I guess like Matilda is Matilda like a period film or is it like a magical realism film? It's a magical realism film, but that's the. Is that the song where she's making everything fly around? Probably. But that's what I'm saying is that the fact that you don't know shows that that song is so ubiquitous in film. But I should have known that the answer was like a lot more obvious and a lot more boring, which is right. that um, it's somewhere over the rainbow has been used 444 times. Oh, like the other one that's like really, really common is um, the Jaws theme for the same reason. So like uh-huh. now the Jaws theme is just shorthand for something scary is going to happen. Scary horror movie, scary bad now. But some other ones that were like a little bit more interesting that I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense is um, All Along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix, which is like big in war scenes. Oh. Um, what a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. That made yeah. a lot of sense. I see films again. It's usually was- when things are bad. <laughs> Red roses Another one of my favorites, um, Walking on Sunshine has been used in 117 movies. Yes, that is a tune. Uh, and then my, and this was all from like a Quora post, but they did have, they had references for those. Um, but you know how Quora also has like other people comment and somebody yeah. had my absolute favorite response. Uh, and just to be clear, this is from 2017. So they have no excuse. Uh, they were like, what song has been the most films, you wonder? <laughs> I cannot say that, but one song for sure is one of the least played in films. And it was Nick Case Red or Nick Cave. He said Nick Case, which was wrong. Nick Cave's Red Right Hand. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? That song is everywhere. So then I went and looked it up. You know that one. It's like real spooky. Yeah. And it's like, with his red right hand. Uh it was in Scream, which is where I remembered it, but it was also in Hellboy. It was in Dumb and Dumber. And it's, it is literally, this is the funniest one. It is literally the theme song to Peaky Blinders, which is a is show it? that's been on for the last seven years. No yes. way. <laughs> but I love that guy that was like, I know one's, like, what a weird thing to say. Cause also like, why, like that is a song that's been in a lot of things. And then also, <laughs> I can think of so many other songs that just like have never been in a movie. Like, what about like the third song off the second album from Corn? Like, I don't think that's ever been in a movie. <laughs> Least used. Give me a fucking I mean, break. Yeah, how many people? Like, you watch a movie and you're like, I want to put that song in my movie. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think you know one of my absolute favorite things in the world is uh, this. Is, I guess this is actually a really good place to leave it. Um, so as as we discussed, you know, in a completely non-controversial way earlier in the show, Ellie and I both work in media. Uh, we do a lot of editing, which means that we use um, we use these services where you pay like a flat fee and you get access to a music library. And yeah. that's how you put in music for like, um, like, you know, the kind of like social media videos or like, like YouTubers videos, like they'll usually pay for like a, a, you know, a license free or a license like library like that. So it's usually like unknown musicians and they're just putting out like a ton of music because uh, they get paid like a little bit every time somebody downloads one of their songs. Yeah. Um, and they're typically not used in like movies because if you have the kind of budget to make a feature film, you're probably going to go use like, music from you know signed artists or whatever except there was this really fucking bad movie that i think i told you to watch and you were like absolutely not (laughs) on netflix called 365 days that's like a little like sex movie where she gets kidnapped by the mafia guy and he's like yes you did tell me about this baby girl 
Grab a girl. Yeah. Grab a girl. Come up. Get in the shower. <laughs> well, it was like it was like an unexpected like viral hit. But the best thing about that movie, Eleanor, is that it first of all it has more music than I've ever like the music to minute ratio of that movie is out of control. It's almost one to one, and I'm not exaggerating. When you notice the music, you know that it's bad. Oh, I know. No, it's like every every story beat has a new song. It's insane. No, but Ellie. They used the same music library that we used at our at the job that that we both used to work at. And I got an email from them to my work email that was like so fucking smug and proud of themselves that was like, oh yeah, that's right. If you want to check out all the music from 365 days, you can go to this link with this playlist and i was like i was like that was the best fucking day of that like fucking account executive's life when that movie when that dumb fucking netflix movie went viral and all of their like licensed youtube music became like big on tiktok (laughs) it's the best because one of the songs charted can you imagine? No. Can you imagine the song that you made for like a license library? A royalty-free beat? A royalty-free beat charted because it was in that movie and then all the TikTok teens started using it in their like faux sexy little TikToks where they were like, isn't it funny? No. It's like, I'm going to grab my own hand on my own bedspread that my mom bought me and that looks like sex. And it's like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, it doesn't, sweetheart. <laughs> They would all use this song from the movie, and it was like, because I see red, red. And then that song is from the Extreme Music Library. Sorry, shout out to Extreme. Well, way to go. And I'm like, you know what? More power to you. Like, I, I'm telling you, like, that guy woke up, and he was like, I'm sorry, what? The, the original song, the era of, like, a Lose Yourself. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Uh, God, do you remember Lose Yourself? Or the Charlie's Angels song. Do I? Or, uh... uh What's another good Gangster's Paradise was what I was oh, thinking about when you said it earlier. What an innocent era. What an innocent era. What a time. Or what about like everything I do? Oh, I do you. Well, uh, in the place of 15 points, I sure. would like to give you my rendition <gasps> to be considered for the musical. Oh my god. Of <laughs> Smash of oh, all stars. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> Is my guitar even in tune? No. No, but we're going to go with it. That's part of it. Somebody once told me the world is going to roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shade. She was looking kind of dumb with a finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Well, the years start coming and they don't stop coming. I threw the rules and I hit the ground running. Didn't make sense to live for fun. Your brain gets small, but your head gets dumb. So much to do, so much to see. So what's wrong with taking the back streets? You never know if you don't go. You'll never shine if you don't glow. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. All that glitters is gold, and only shooting stars break the mold. You're welcome. So that's uh, that's for you. You can take that wherever you go, and you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll be releasing that one as a digital download on Patreon. Uh, my favorite oh. part, my favorite part was when you were doing like the verse, and I was like, "When did she learn All Star?" And then you started really going, and I was like, "Oh, she didn't." Okay, it makes a lot more sense. I sure didn't. I was trying to read it and guess the chords I went along. So that was a gift for everyone, and also fifteen points in a musical form. Very good. I loved it. I'll take it. <laughs> You're welcome. So good. How horrific that I'm going to let people listen to that. Oh, I think it's going to make the episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of What Took a Turn. We've been fairly hysterical all the way through because it is uh, <sighs> two in the morning for me, body clock-wise. But, Ooh, uh, bodies are a miracle. Bodies are a miracle, Danette. Just a science. It's been beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche, wherever internets are sold. 
And you can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and at Ellie Mainy on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Redbubble, Patreon, all the things. And you can go to uh, thosetwogirls.club to check out our website and send us a message if you want us to read something on the podcast because we will do it. We love you guys. And uh, between this and the next episode, I don't know, maybe, maybe you'll learn something. Bam 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 Make sure you keep it loose, keep it tight, and so your prison knife bow.